if you have your uh, Bible with you, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Daniel chapter 11. That's where we're going to be picking it up here this morning. We're closing out this series that we've been in uh, in the book of Daniel. Uh, we, we, this is our last sermon in this book. And next week we're going to begin something new. We're going to, we're going to start a summer series uh, uh, working through the Psalms. We're calling it Pilgrim Songs. Uh, taking a sampling of those, and each one of them is kind of directly connected to one of the elements in our worship services. And so I know Andrew and I are both very excited uh, to jump into that next week. But for today, we're in Daniel 12, and we've had a pretty full service, so let's jump in here. Uh, would you stand with me, and let's look at, God, look at God's Word together to us this morning. This is Daniel chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall be awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream, and one on the on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things should be finished. I heard... But I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, And the abomination that makes desolate is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do ask you today in the midst of our of this service of worship, Lord, we pray that you, our God, would speak to us through your word to us, that we would be able to hear your voice, that we would be able to see your face, that we would be able to truly and honestly sing your praise. We pray that you would do that for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Part of the, uh, part of, like, I mean, part of every journey is the end, Right? I mean, like whether it's something as trivial as a road trip or a football game, something measured in miles or minutes, or even something as significant as the span of a human life, the, the reality is that there's always an end that's out there in, in front of us. It's, it's the universal truth of, of, of life here 
on the ground. And it's true for Daniel. It's true for this man of God. And it's true for this book that we've been working our way through. We've reached the end of the journey. And now, and now there are some questions we might ask. A few years ago, um, our family all uh, made the drive down to Disney World um, because we hate ourselves a lot. Anyway, and, um, and we had this great plan. Like, we really did. We had this great plan for the journey down there. The six of us at the time, we loaded up into the car at like 4.30 in the morning, I think, uh, to get ahead of the traffic. Okay, that was the plan. The plan was that the kids could like just fall back asleep. So we just like kind of chunked them in the car and strapped them in or whatever, and they would fall back asleep. And before we got off of our driveway, now our driveway is longer than the average driveway. I will grant you that. But before we got off the end of that driveway, we all heard the sound like of a Dr. Pepper being, it was like, you know that sound? So we heard, we heard that, and then we heard the ripping open of a bag of what we thought were chips, but as it turned out, were what they call flaming hot Cheetos, okay? <laughs> this is at 4.30 in the morning. Our son, Tucker, is in the very back, and that smell <laughs> engulfed the car for the next seven hours, okay? It's a unique combination of smells, by the way. I, I recommend it. I really do. Um, trip was great. We made great time. I beat the GPS, right? Shaved like 20 minutes off of that sucker. So my dad pride was off the charts. I mean, I pulled into the parking lot um, looking like, uh, feeling like Tom Brady there for a second. Like got out of the car, just looking at all the dads. Like, I bet y'all didn't shave 20 minutes off of that thing. Um, we walked into the place we were staying, got to the little desk. This very kind lady uh, met us there, and, and she was like, yeah, yeah, your check-in's not for another four hours. And I remember Logan, he was six at the time, he looked up at me, and he goes, so what do we do now? <laughs> We've reached the end, what do we do now? I think that's a fair question. That's sort of where we find ourselves today. We've arrived at the end. The journey is complete. So what do we do now? Now that we're here, what do we do with Daniel? The journey's over. There's just some weird stuff along the way for sure. Daniel is not a, a just straightforward book. There is some weird stuff in there, some, some sights and smells that might have caught us a little off guard. We made a few memories along the way, but what now? That's sort of where we find ourselves today. What are we supposed to do with these things? And that brings us back to the whole purpose of this book to begin with. Right? Remember, it's not primarily the story of Daniel, and it's not primarily the story of world empires, and it's not primarily the story of cracking the code to figure out the end of the world, and it's not primarily about the church. What primarily it's about, it's about the nature and character of our forever ruling and reigning God who has not forsaken his broken world, and is still in control even of the storms that come with it. 
And so like Jesus in the boat with his disciples out on the stormy sea, this book is given to his people to encourage them, to strengthen them, even as the wind and the rain of life in this world continue to batter them. And so what does God, as we reach this point, as we get to this point, what does God intend to leave with Daniel? And what does God intend to leave with his people? That's the question that we're asking today. In light of what we've heard and in light of what we've seen, what does God intend to leave with us? And so looking at this today from our vantage point, right? As the new creation sons and daughters of the living God, that is our identity in him. That's who we are. We're the people of faith. And so we're looking at this today through the eyes of faith, okay? Knowing that God is in control, knowing that God is, is working all things, Ephesians 1.11, right, reminds us that we have been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And like, we believe that. We believe that God is working all things according to the counsel of His will. That's what it means to have faith. That's what it means to trust. It's to believe that. And so we're looking at this through the eyes of faith, and we see reason for that even there in verse 1. Here's, here's what it says. Look at verse 1 again. It says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name is found written in the book. So, so here it is, okay? Storms are coming, right? Traffic is coming. Hardship is coming. Daniel's told that there is going to be a time of trouble. And remember, like, remember this. Daniel's in a time of trouble. He's in a time of trouble. And he's being told there's a time of trouble coming, right? He's in that mess already. That, this whole thing, this whole last three chapters of Daniel, that whole thing started in the midst of trouble, and so God is telling him here that there's going to be a time of trouble. And it's more than just the idea that like trouble is going to happen. I think we can fall into that. We fall into this idea that like, okay, the world's broken, so trouble's just going to happen. It's that there, here, here's what it says though in, in, this, in Daniel 12. It says that there shall be a time of trouble. Right? That's sort of a definite verb in there. It's not that trouble's just going to happen. It's that there shall be a time of trouble. And this time of trouble is going to be different, okay? Now, now it's been bad. We want to say that. Like, objectively, I think we can all agree. If you look at Daniel's life in the book of Daniel, it's been pretty bad, all right? For those who've been with us from the beginning, Daniel's life hasn't exactly been one of smooth sailing, right? Our boy has not had it easy. He and his friends, remember this, he and his friends were taken uh, from their homes. They were taken from their city. They were taken from their place of worship, okay? They, they didn't relocate. They were relocated. That's what happened to them. It's not something they did. It's something that was done to them. They were taken from those places. They were renamed with pagan names, all right? So, so like, I don't know if you can imagine that, that somebody has taken you. This is basically, this is, this is entry-level human trafficking right here. You take a person from where they are, you rename them, you try and give them a totally new identity. This is what is happening there. And not only that, they try to give you a new identity that completely ties you to this new form of pagan worship. Some of them were thrown into a fiery furnace. That's not a metaphor. 
It's also not a good day. Daniel was thrown into a den of lions. That's not a little thing. Can't you just imagine like his Christmas card from that year? You, like, you ever thought, like, I love those Christmas cards where people, like, give you their family stats. They're like, Joey is now seven, you know? He finished whatever grade that is, first grade, and he's now moving on. We're psyched about it. I love, I can even imagine Daniel's, like, Christmas card. He's, like, designing it on, you know, whatever, Snapfish or whatever, and he's got, like, a picture of him and one of the lions. Just like, you know, because I'm sure they bonded in that time. Just like, here we are, man. I mean, that's a big deal. That goes on the Christmas card for sure. Every year when he comes back to that day in his journal, right? Well, yep, one year ago today, I was in that den with the lions. I mean, he's been through some real stuff. But here at the end, here, here's, here's the other thing. Here at the end, as he's looking back on this, he's remembering these storms and he's seeing this vision. He's remembering the storms of the, pa- storms of the past and he's remembering and he's seeing a vision of the storms to come and now there's one that, that's coming such as never has been. That's the way that God describes the storm that's coming for him. And so he's also remembering these incredible times of God's deliverance. And so when God says, but at that time, your people shall be delivered, it carries some weight with it. It does, because, because Daniel understands deliverance. Because he knows deliverance. Because like all true children of God, he has a story of deliverance. And so he can be comforted by the reality that the God of deliverance is the one who is carrying him even now. And he can be comforted by the promise that the God of deliverance is the one who will rescue his people from the storms that are to come. You see, that's what faith does. Faith trusts. Faith believes. Faith rests. Because faith isn't just wishful thinking. Like, faith isn't just some sort of dream. Remember the author of Hebrews? You remember, it's Hebrews 11, where he tells us that faith is what? It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So it's not based on our desires. It's not based on our preferences. It's not determined by our comfort. Uh, Faith is not determined by our circumstances. No, faith is founded on the real deliverance of God and the covenant promises of God. But it's not that faith is a complete understanding of everything. Remember here that even Daniel isn't given all the answers. We saw that down in verse 8. Did you notice that? As this whole thing is being unpacked for him in the vision. And I actually, I actually find verse 8 to be incredibly uh, comforting to me. But as this whole thing is being explained, this sort of prehistory picture that God is painting for him, he confesses. This is verse 8. He says, I heard, but I did not understand. Anybody else reading through Daniel 12? Like, yeah, Amen. I mean, that's been the theme of Daniel. I heard, but I didn't understand. It's comforting to me that that's exactly how Daniel felt too. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Don't you? I mean, I love that verse. That verse is so comforting to me. He's like, I want to understand. I want, God, I want to know, but I don't understand. Would you tell me, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And look at verse 9. Here's what God said to him. He said, go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Daniel isn't satisfied with what God has told him. He isn't content with what God has told him. But I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this. He paraphrases this saying, Go on about your business, Daniel. That's what God says. when He wants more. Go on about your business, 
Daniel. So even Daniel isn't given all the answers. Even Daniel isn't given every answer to every question. But in faith, right, in faith, through faith, he's given every reason in the world to hope. And that's what true faith always leads to. True faith always leads to hope. See, hope is the gift that faith brings to our lives. And so we see this through the eyes of hope. And there are a couple undeniable reasons for us to walk in hope. Here they are. I'm going to go fast here. The first is that we can hope because the time of trouble is limited. Look at verse 7. Here's what it says in verse 7. And I heard the man clothed in linen. Many, many see this as like a pre-incarnate Christ who's come in the vision. A pre-incarnate Christ who's come in the vision to, to speak, right? And here's what it says. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times, and half a time. And then when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things should be finished for a time, times, and half a time. I don't know what grade it is as you start learning to tell time. I can't remember what that is, but if you're asked what time you're supposed to be somewhere and you answer with uh, time, times, and half a time, you're failing that class. Uh, you're not, you do not get to go to the third grade or whatever. Like That's just not... That is the strangest answer. And people love to speculate about these things, right? They love to speculate about the numbers of the Bible and especially like these eschatological numbers. So this time, times, and half a times language is intriguing to us. But here's what I want to make sure we don't do. I don't want to get distracted by the intrigue, okay? The point is that God has the timing. That's the point of that. You can, you can speculate about a hundred different things and people are going to write all kinds of books. I promise you, I got commentaries on the shelf. You are welcome to come and check them out. But ultimately, what that means is that God has the timing. It's that God has set the limits. It's that God is in control of the time of the beginning. God is in control of the time of the middle. God is in the times of the end. So yes, the season of trouble is coming, but it's not an unbridled season. The storm is coming, but it's limited. It's set. There, are, there, is a, there is a beginning and there is an end to this storm that has already been set in God's plan and purpose for the world. See, we have to remember, you and I have to remember, when we're in the seasons of darkness, listen, Christians above all people should be the most optimistic people on the planet because we know the one who is in control. We know the one who sets the limits. This, this time of year when everyone's headed to the coast, man, pe- people are getting out of town. They're, they're setting off, uh, getting out of their normal routine, even for just a minute. It always reminds me of that verse uh, from Proverbs 8, where it says that God, here's what it says in Proverbs 8, that God assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command. When you go to the coast, when you stand on the, on, the, on the shore of the sea and you look out and you remember God assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his commandments. So, so just as sure as God sets the limits of the sea, so he sets the limits of the times of trouble. So every time you see that ocean, every time you see that place, you remember that God is the one who told it where to stop. And so we hope because we know that it's limited, that the storm is limited. That every storm is limited by the God of all creation. So that's the first thing. Here's another one. We can hope because we look forward to the resurrection. We can hope because we look forward to the resurrection. Look at verse 2. He says, As many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, 
and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So we can hope because even the season of death is limited. I'm not sure who said it first, but I remember hearing at some point, and and this is what we see in verse 2, that the day of resurrection is also a day of separation. There's going to be this separation between those to everlasting life and those to shame and everlasting contempt. Those whose names are found written in the book will be resurrected to everlasting life. That's our hope. If you are in Christ today, that is your hope. And, and, that, and it reminds me of, of what C.S. Lewis talked about in his book, The Weight of Glory. It's that seeing these two destinations, these, these two possible destinations, understanding the simplicity of it all, we love to complicate it, right? We love to think, well, what if, what if? No, no. God goes, here are the two. It's either everlasting life or everlasting contempt. Those are the two possibilities for every human being. And here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. And then he makes this observation, something that's easy to forget, but he says this. He says, there are no ordinary people. He says, you have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, Marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Do you see and think of people in those terms? Like, do you think of your neighbors as eternal? Like, seriously, as as we see our friends, as we see our neighbors, as we face our enemies, as we cross paths with old acquaintances, as we eat our chips and our salsa, as we drive down the road. And some of y'all are going to experience this. Like when you leave our parking lot, you're immediately entering into the darkest realm that exists. Sunset Boulevard in Lexington, South Carolina is just a snippet of what hell's going to be like. <laughs> y'all think I'm joking. I actually believe that. I think there's traffic like this in hell for sure. All of us, all of us are headed to one of those two destinations. Eternal life or eternal contempt. We need to, as a people, and we need to, as a church, we need to learn the stakes that are involved here. You see, what we will be in the future must determine how we will be in the present. I heard someone say that future destiny impacts present discipleship. So where we will be one day impacts how we will be today. And we are unapologetically a people of hope. James Smith has said this. He said he's a philosopher and and writer and professor. He says this. He says the Christian life is a pilgrimage of hope. But things are a mess right now. I don't know if you know that. If you open your eyes, you will see. Things are a mess right now. But what... But life, feel, feel, life feels like sometimes like it's like taking a two by four to my face, right? That, that's, how, that's how someone literally described it. I said, how are you doing? Oh, that's how they described it to me. They feel like Tommy Boy just taking a two by four to the face. It doesn't hurt so much here or here. It's right here. There's so much truth to that. I see it in people's eyes. I hear it in their voices. But I'm lonely right now. But my heart is broken right now. But I'm in a season of loss right now. Listen, to those of us who understand the weight of eternity, the weight of the temporary must and shall begin to grow lighter and lighter by the minute. 
when we have our eyes set on the horizon of eternity, when we have our hearts fixed on the everlasting, when resurrection becomes our focus, affliction begins to fade. And some of you, I mean, some of you might be rightly asking what in the world it means to understand the weight of eternity. What in the world does it mean to have our hearts fixed on the everlasting? And I'll concede that's a fair question. What in the world does it mean for resurrection to become our focus? You can ask that question. Maybe you should be asking that question. Based on what I know of you and the world around you, it's clear that many of us either don't know or we don't care. Either way, we aren't walking in it. We aren't walking in that hope. And so that brings us to the last page here. God's giving us the eyes of faith. He's giving us the eyes of hope. And it isn't a cliche, and it's not a Disney story, and this is not a fairy tale. But he's also giving us the eyes of love. We're seeing this through the eyes of love. And how does that happen? Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. He told Daniel that he wouldn't have all the answers, but that he'd have all he needs. And and here's what he's given. Here's verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. It it is very difficult to say exactly what these time frames mean. Scholars love to speculate, and I'll be honest, I just hate doing math. So, but here's what I can safely tell you. I'm 100% confident in this. I can tell you that 1,290 is less than 1,335. I think I'm right on that. 1,290 is less than 1,335. I mean, even I can arrive at that and feel confident in that little bit of math. And so what that means is that the time of the abomination is less than the time of blessing. Do you see that in there? The time of the abomination is less than the time of blessing. So the one thing, the one clear thing that I can offer you today from these verses is that the blessing is greater than the suffering. Some of you need to hear that. I know that. I know some of us are in a mess. Like you're walking in chaos. Some of you have endured great loss even even just this week. Some of you have entered into new seasons of life this week. Man, we had the high school graduates up here. They've got all this stuff hanging out in front of them. Even with all that success they've had in the past and even with all the beautiful plans they have for the future, you're in a season of change. You're in a season of the unknown. But here's what we can know. This is what Daniel 12 tells us is that those who endure the suffering will be blessed with something greater. That those who endure the suffering will be blessed with something greater. And we, we see that nowhere more clearly than we see it at the cross, right? I mean, isn't that the story of the Christian faith? It's at the cross of Jesus where we see love poured out. Remember, Jesus told his disciples before they could even begin to comprehend what was coming. Before they could accept what would happen in the coming days, he told them in John 15, 13, that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
That's what Jesus said. That's what he told his disciples. And, there's, and, that's, and that's probably a verse that you've heard before. He said, he said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay, lay down his life for his friends. I, I imagine in that moment, those words felt sort of hypothetical to the disciples. I mean, they were eating a meal together. It felt like a good life lesson to tuck away in the future. They felt sort of like maybe Jesus is being a little dramatic today. And he's kind of feeling it. It's around Passover, special time of year. Maybe it was like a hyperbole, right? Like, yeah, yeah, lay down your life for your friends. Sort of abstract. But at the cross, right? At the cross, the abstraction faded away. At the cross, the hyperbole faded away. At the cross, the scenes of drama faded away and they saw it clearly. They saw the sacrifice. At the cross, they saw him laying down his life for friends. They saw this love that Jesus talks about on display. And surely they felt the loss in that moment, right? I mean, surely they felt the defeat. Surely they felt the fear. But the weight of glory is greater. You see, the picture of love is greater. The promise of God in Christ is greater because what we know is that Jesus died, but he didn't stay that way. What we know is that Jesus died, but he he walked out. And so what does it mean to walk in resurrection power? It means to remember that Jesus is not in the tomb anymore. And that's not just an Easter truth. That's not just a holiday truth. That's a daily and abiding truth that we need to drink in every single day. That why can we be hopeful? Because Jesus is alive. Why can we have faith? Because Jesus is alive. Why can we walk in love? Because Jesus is alive. This is the picture of love. You see, the promise of God in Christ is greater. Look back at verse 13 one more time. It's God's word to Daniel, and in Christ it's his word to us. It says, but go on your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. That's the gospel word for us. That's the good news to us today. How many of you are tired? You don't even have to answer that. I know you are. Anybody exhausted? Look at the promise here. It's for rest. One of the most elusive things that we have in our world. That's the gospel word for us today. Go on your way, the way of Christ. Rest in him, the hope of resurrection. Stand in the place, the place purchased for you with his blood at the cross. Daniel could only look forward in faith. He looked forward to this in hopeful anticipation. That was his perspective. But we, but we have new eyes, right? We have a different perspective. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a, re- it's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Then he says this. This is what I'd leave you with today. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in him. That is our allotted place. That is where we're called to stand. That's our faith. That's our hope. And we have those things because of his love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you know us, you know our hearts, you know the distractions, the things even right now are starting to claw at us, the things that are telling us we've got to hurry, we've got to move, we've got to do faster, more, stronger, everything better. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to find rest. Help us to find rest in your grace. Help us to find find rest in your promises for us. Lord, help us to stand in our allotted place by grace.
through faith in Christ for your glory. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.